Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Ben. Welcome to Four Corners Church. I have a question for you this morning. Have you ever been in a relationship and you wanted the relationship to go farther than the other person wanted it to go? Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you wanted to go deeper, more intimately into the relationship? You wanted to get closer, but the other person was a bit resistant. That's not a fun place to be at all. It's not a fun place to be if you're in a dating relationship. Back a few years ago, they uh, developed a term to discuss the, uh, the kind of dynamic that we're talking about. They called it the DTR, the Define the Relationship Talk. And it was a conversation that boyfriends or girlfriends would want to have with the other person in the relationship to try to define where are we and are we committed to going deeper into this thing or is this just something that we're kind of doing now with no real hopes of any future growth. It's not fun if you're a boyfriend or a girlfriend and one wants to go farther than the other one wants to go into the relationship. It's, it's not fun when you're, a, when you're a kid and you're wanting to have a different kind of relationship with your parent. Maybe you've seen other kids have these cool relationships with their parents and they have this level of comfort and freedom and laughter in the relationship. But then when you're around your parents, even as an adult kid and you're around your parents and it's just awkward and weird and not enjoyable. In fact, you don't even really look forward to the, to the holiday time because it means you've got to be around those people. And you, and you would like the relationship to change. You would like it to be more intimate and free and friendly, but it's not. But perhaps the hardest one is when you're in a marriage. And you can remember days of long conversations and easy decision-making, like, you know, where do you want to go? I don't care. Where do you want to go? Well, just tell me where you want to go. And you really don't care because you really just want to please the other person. But those days are way in the past, and now you find yourself in a marriage. And maybe you want to go further, and you want to be more intimate and more close, and you want to have meaningful conversations, but the other person doesn't want to, or it doesn't seem like they're willing to put the effort in to make that happen. That is never a fun place to be in a relationship. Some of you have been in work environments and either a coworker or a boss, or perhaps you are a boss, and, and, and you have somebody that you work beside, and they're awesome. There's a lot of great talent there. There's some really great um, ability. But in terms of the friendship dynamic, it just isn't there. And perhaps you see them connecting with other people, and you think, maybe I'd like to be in that, but you're just not in the thing. And it's just not fun when you want more out of a relationship than somebody else is willing to put in. It may surprise you today to discover that your heavenly father wants a deeper, more intimate relationship with you. And the dynamics that define human relationships and the limitations there and what it takes to grow deeper are similar to the dynamics that define the relationship between you and your heavenly father, what it takes to go deeper in a relationship with him. There's very similar parallels between the two. We're finishing up a message series today called Seven. We're looking at the seven churches of Asia. If you want to go in your Bible, you can park yourself in Revelation chapter 3. We'll get there. You can grab your message notes. They look like this. And on the inside, the passage that we're going to look at primarily is there. But apart from all the note-taking that you're going to do today, there's one big overarching point that I want you to grab hold of. And I think if you grab hold of it today, it can literally change your life. And I don't care today uh, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Today's truth can change your life, literally. 
And I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years. If you grab hold in a fresh way to what we're talking about today, it literally can change the trajectory of the rest of your life. Your heavenly father wants an intimate and close relationship with you. But he's limited. He's limited. He has all the power in the world, and he's chosen to limit himself. He has all the wisdom in the world, and he's chosen to limit himself. He's limited in similar ways that that person, maybe you, in a relationship with your spouse or a friend or a boyfriend, or, and you want to go deeper, but you can't force another person to be close to you. Right? You can try. You can do what you want to do. You can, you can do a lot of good things. You can go to counseling. You can learn how to communicate better. But you can't force another person to want to have a heart that beats for you. You just can't do it. It's, you're not capable. In fact, to try too hard to do that, psychologists have a term for that. It's called codependency, where you take on the responsibility to make somebody else love you. It's very unhealthy. And your Heavenly Father wants to have a close and intimate relationship with you, but He doesn't force Himself on anyone. A passage we're going to look at today where Jesus dictates a letter to a church reveals your father's heart for you. It's the heart that if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you'll see over and over and over again. It's the heart that is revealed in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And that chapter in the Bible that gets read often at funerals because it's very comforting reveals the heart of a shepherd, your heavenly father who's a shepherd, and he cares and he pursues and he'll do what he can do to provide for you the kind of engagement with him that restores, renews, carries you even through the valley of the shadow of death. It's just... That's the kind of God that he is. If you continue to read the Bible, you get to the New Testament. It's, it's the Jesus who would go out of his way to go into another city and encounter a woman that nobody else really wanted to encounter. He goes to Samaria and he meets a woman that nobody else really wants to engage. And he goes out of his way to do it because that's his heart. He'll go, he will do the work to make the relationship happen. It's the Jesus that looks at Zacchaeus up in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, you're a tax collector and nobody really wants anything to do with you. They don't like you. You and your kind have uh, ruined relationships and the financial uh, futures of a lot of people uh, because of the power and authority you have and the abuse of your power. But Zacchaeus, today, I want to go to your house and I want to eat dinner with you. He's pursuing people that people, other people don't want to pursue. This is the heart of your heavenly father. This is Jesus on display and when you get to Revelation chapter 3, you see that same heart of Jesus on display. But before we talk even more about him, you know what I'm talking about, right? When you want to go further and the other one doesn't. Let me tell you about a time that I really wanted to go further in a relationship. It was uh, my second semester of my freshman year in college, and um, I was asked by my uh, department that I was uh, trying to major in to go represent our school at some kind of competition. I had um, 
had some academic success, and they wanted me to go represent at a competition our school and our business department. Which is cool. I wasn't the only one. There's about 12, 14 of us that were invited to go. And uh, so we were supposed to gather at the student center on our college campus. And we were going to gather at a certain time. We were all going to uh, get in the van and drive across the state, Tennessee, to go to the place where the competitions were being held. It was a really exciting time. It was all being paid for. I felt awesome. I was just going because it was a free trip to Memphis, a city I had not really explored. And I heard they had really good barbecue and good music. And I thought it'd be really awesome to go. By the way, I still love good music and barbecue. So I, I, go, to, I, I go to the student center. And when I walk in, there's this girl there. I don't know her. But instantly, I have this motivation. I want our relationship to go deeper. Uh, she had on a clothes in just the right way. That was, the, the cut of the clothes was just right for me. Grabbed my attention. And her hair was, was perfect. Now, it's not perfect by today's standards. It was perfect, big 1980s hair. <laughs> and I just thought it was the hottest thing I'd ever seen. Big eyes, friendly smile, confidence. And the fact that she was in the room meant that she was pretty bright. And I thought to myself, I don't really know this girl, but I, I want this relationship to go deeper. So over the weekend, I did all I could do. Knowing that I can't force her to have feelings for me like I have for her, but I'll do what I can. So I'm trying to be friendly. I'm going out of my way. I'm making sure I am where she's going to be. You remember these days, guys? Remember? Like, I'm just mysteriously there where she's going to be. I get up a little extra early in the morning so that perhaps at breakfast we'll have a little bit of extra time to hang out. And we did. And we began to talk, have a great time. I really, really liked her. And I looked like she kind of liked me. In case you're wondering, I'm talking about my wife. So, by the way, <laughs> it works out really, really, really well. It does. Just in case you're wondering, it'd be really awkward because she's sitting right over here. So if I was talking about somebody else, that's just really awkward. So we get in the, 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 those two vans. I get in a van to go back after the weekend, and I've had a great time with her. And I'm thinking, man, Ben, you've done it right. And on the car ride home, the guy driving the car, who's a couple years older than me and very bright guy, he says, you know, I really like that Jill Brown girl. That's Jill's maiden name. Now, now here, here's where I'm going to tell you that the pastor that you see today is not the guy that was in college back then. All right, so just, I'm not suggesting everything you're about to hear is something you should model. But so his name was John. So I said to him, John, what do you mean you really like her? Because I'm kind of nervous. Yeah, this guy's he's fit, he's intelligent, he's older, you know, he's a little taller than me, and you know, which doesn't really bother me. But I know for a lot of people that's an issue. So if you don't know, Jill's taller than me and it never feels a problem for me. But I thought maybe I didn't know. Really. I, so anyway, I, thought, I said to myself, if John goes after her, I'm in trouble. But the other thought that I had at the same time was, is I don't really like John. And if Jill likes John, I probably won't like Jill. So I said to John, John, you should go for it, buddy. You should ask her out, like right away. So we get back to campus in the next few days. Sure enough, John asks her out, and they go out. And I was livid. I had made major investment. I had spent money. I had bought stuff on the street for her. You know, I, I'm vested already, and I'm just livid. And I bump into Jill a few days later on the street there in the, in the, on the campus. And I said, hey, uh, how was your date with John? And I'm hoping she's like, oh, he stinks. You know, he's a horrible person. She's like, you know, I had a really good time. My heart just shrunk. 
I felt defeated, not like, oh, that's wonderful, yay. Yeah, you ever like had to put on the face? Yay, that's wonderful. And I said, well, you know, it's really good to see you. I'm glad you guys had a great time. And then she looked at him and she said, you know, I really didn't have a great time. I was like, oh, God, you're so good. God is so good all the time. I went straight from like doubting my faith to having great confidence in the Lord. So I immediately said, well, would you like to go out this weekend? And what I didn't know is that even though I was pursuing her, I, here, here's the thing that was on my mind. I knew I couldn't make her. The best I could do was present myself. This is the best I could do. I couldn't make her like me, want to pursue me, be in a relationship. I, there was nothing I could do other than be the best me I could be. But what happens in her heart is something that is relatively independent of what I do. I mean, they're connected, but not in, in a direct way. And your Heavenly Father has designed the world and designed the opportunity for you and I to have a relationship with Him that operates very, very similarly. He'll present His best self, but at the end of the day, whether or not we have an intimate, growing relationship with Him is as much a function of what you do as it is what He does. Now, my theology is very strong on the sovereignty of God. And ultimately, who God wants to have a relationship with, he's going to. That's the power of our Heavenly Father. I believe that. But the way it works out mechanically in a person's life, the way God wants it to work, is that there's a willingness in the recipient of the relationship that he offers, as well as a power in the offering. And it works best when God reaches out, ordains, predetermines, whatever language you want to use, I'm fine with. And then a person goes, God, I submit myself to what you want for me. I willingly give myself over. It works much better that way. And then when you're in a relationship with your Heavenly Father, there are seasons of the relationship where he'll, he'll knock on the door of your heart and call you to more. He'll call you deeper in, more intimacy, closer, more clarity in your call. Uh, more purposeful in your purpose. And he knocks, but the picture that he gives of himself in the Bible is he's not the kind of God that rams the door down very often. He knocks and he waits for you to open. That's the picture that he gives right here in Revelation chapter 3. It's the church of Laodicea. Laodicea was a uh, wealthy, wealthy town. Uh, of all the churches we're looking at, perhaps the wealthiest. It had a couple of challenges. Um, the city of Laodicea, where this church was located, John the Apostle in the New Testament is in charge of that church. But now John is on an island in exile because of his influence in the church and the apparent conflict between this growing church and the Roman Empire. So Rome puts John in exile on the Isle of Patmos, and Jesus shows up to John and dictates to him seven letters to individual cities, and the church is located there. And these letters reveal the heart of Jesus. They reveal what's important to God, and they have very similar kinds of ingredients in each letter. Each letter reveals a picture of Jesus. Each letter gives kind of a a job review of each church. How are you doing on the mission I've called you to? And each letter gives a picture of what life fully devoted to God can look like and what an intimate and close relationship can look like. And we're going to see that here. 
Let me show you, though, if you were to go today to, to Turkey and go visit the ruins of ancient Laodicea. Just go ahead, guys, and scroll up that picture. Just give me a moment. What you're looking at right here is the ruins of the ancient city of Laodicea. And you can see it's kind of up on an elevated plain. What this meant was, and at least for this city, there were some water shortage problems. The local wells would dry up. The city was growing in influence. And they needed a regular water supply. There were two towns in relative proximity within about 10 kilometers away from here that had a much better source of water. And interestingly, just, just an interesting tidbit of history, one had really cool freshwater springs and one had kind of geothermal hot water springs. And aqueducts were built between the two cities in Laodicea, bringing water from these two distant cities into this city. And when that water supply was there, the city was able to flourish and grow. Go on to the next picture here. These are some of the columns in one of the temples. Zeus was worshipped in Laodicea, as well as several other gods. And there was a growing church there. Some 35 to 50 years after Jesus' death, we're talking about, perhaps a little longer. And the church now is a couple generations old. Go ahead and go to the next picture. This is one of the two amphitheaters that was located in Laodicea. One seated about 5,000 people, the other about 7,000. And whenever you see an amphitheater in an ancient city, it means there's a certain amount of comfort and ease in the lifestyle because you don't put on plays and you don't put on entertainment if you're so busy just making sure you can eat. So if there's entertainment venues, it means life is pretty calm and easy. There's a certain amount of casualness to life and enjoyment. Go ahead. I think there's one more picture, perhaps, maybe, no. Don't know? Okay, that's it. Good. Thought I had a picture of the actual pipes uh, where they brought the water in. So here's this city. It's growing, and there's this growing uh, church there, and the city's very influential. And Jesus dictates a letter to John about his heart for this place, and you can find it for yourself right there, Revelation chapter 3 in your message notes. Let's read it. So to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. In every letter, there's a picture of Jesus, every one of them. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, if you see me more clearly, it's just going to help you in your walk. If you can see me more clearly, the world is going to be more clear to you. If you can see me more clearly, you're going to be more clear to you. The beginning point of life really lived well is a clear picture of Jesus. And so in each letter, there is some portrait of Jesus that begins the letter so that the rest of the letter can have its biggest impact if we begin seeing Jesus more clearly. And in this one, he's the amen, the faithful and true witness, and the ruler of God's creation. And then Jesus says to Laodicea, I know your deeds. This is a phrase we come across in all the other letters virtually, almost all but one. I know your deeds. So Jesus has a front row seat. He, see what's, he sees what's going on. He knows what's going on in this church. What this does is it brings credibility to his next few words. These aren't emotional words only. They, although they have an emotional impact, these are words that are measured over time with the insight and the wisdom and the filter of the Lord of all creation looking and saying, I know what's going on here. I know your deeds. That you are neither hot or you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. 
Now, Jesus gives a picture of himself. He gives a job review to each church. And typically, he begins with some positive stuff and some negative stuff. But there are two churches he doesn't give any real positive commendation for. This is one of them. And he jumps straight to some very blunt and candid criticism. He says to the Laodicean church, you're not hot and you're not cold. You're like lukewarm water. You're not good for refreshing like cool water, and you're not good for tea or coffee like hot water. Now, this is interesting. There are two sources of water coming into the city, one from cool freshwater springs, one from hot springs, but they're traveling 10 kilometers or more to get to the city. By the time it gets there, they're all just the same temperature. So while Laodicea had water, the water wasn't really fit, and it didn't satisfy in the same way that if you got the water at the source cool and refreshing or warm and healing perhaps. And Jesus says, because you're neither hot nor cold, in this version of the Bible, the New International Version, translation from Greek to English, he says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. But this is more of a violent, like, disgust with the impact of this water in his mouth. It would be appropriate to say, because you're neither hot or cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. I'm going to spray it. This is not just like, a, uh, I don't like this. This is an emotional reaction to the coldness or to, to the lukewarmness being neither hot nor cold. I'm starting to get a picture now of the quality of the relationship between Jesus and this church. Verse 17. Now, from verse 17 on, we might get a picture of why it is, at least some insight to why it is they're neither hot nor cold nor lukewarm. Here's what Jesus says You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and don't need a thing. I don't need a thing. You're self-sufficient. I don't need anything. I'm pretty good. I got it pretty much going on. And when it comes to spiritual matters, that self-sufficiency runs counter to spiritual health and vitality. God doesn't look at you and say, yeah, you're pretty awesome and self-sufficient. You don't need me. That's not what he says. His picture of you is you're pretty awesome, you're valuable, you're so valuable that I'll give you the greatest thing that I have, my one and only son. I give it as an amazing gift to you. But the truth is, is I'm giving you this gift because while you're valuable and awesome in one sense, you're also broken and dead spiritually. So when it comes to your spiritual condition, here's the truth for all of us. You're not awesome. Neither am I. There's nothing in us that is praiseworthy, the Bible says. In fact, our best efforts at being spiritually alive, the Bible says, our best efforts are like filthy, dirty rags. That's the best we can offer God. So what God does, because he pursues and he wants an intimate relationship, he sends his one and only son, this great gift. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe could have a relationship an intimate, close relationship with their heavenly father. But the Laodicean church, even though this great gift from God was rolled out, even though the, the door is open for a relationship, here's their response to the opportunity in front of them. We're pretty self-sufficient. We don't really need anything, including, evidently, our heavenly father and a closeness to him. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. So even if you're rich, those riches aren't refined yet. We're going to have to refine that and put riches in its right place. 
Gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear. You're naked. I want to give you some white clothes. Interesting. The area of Laodicea, one of the things they were known for, one of the primary experts of that area was fine black wool. There was something about the way they did sheep tending there. And black sheep were the specialty of the area. And if you wanted black clothing, like really nice wool stuff, you'd buy from Laodicea. It's one of the primary experts. Uh, export. So clothing and the clothing trade's a big deal. And Jesus says, here's what I want to do with you. You think you're awesome the way you are. I want to give you fine white robes. Just, just a little criticism about what might make them feel self-sufficient. Jesus says, look, black, that's not where it's at. When it comes to your spiritual vitality, I have better clothes for you than you can put on yourself. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. We actually have verifiable historical evidence that in Laodicea there was a thriving medical community. And uh, people would go there if they had eye problems, cataracts perhaps, and they would put salve on their eyes. And Jesus is saying, I've got some salve for you, and when I give it to you, it's going to really let you see what's really going on. And then he says... Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. These are not words that we often associate with love. Unless you're a parent, perhaps, or unless you've grown up and you're responsible for the care of a group of people. Perhaps you're a boss and you need to move a group of people in the same direction. You understand the power of, you might use different words, of rebuke and correction to move a group of people in the right direction. You understand if you're a parent of a middle schooler, you can't let them have every urge satisfied. You've got to get between them and their urges on occasion, you know, because if not, what they're going to eat for breakfast every day is cake, and that's fine maybe once a week, a month, I don't know. Clearly, I'm not good at this, <laughs> but they can't do it all the time, and if you let them, they'll have ice cream for dinner every you got to get put some... So when it comes to middle school, sometimes when it comes to a, an employer and the team, you got to do a little correction and rebuking and call some things wrong and unhealthy. And Jesus says, I do this because I love you. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. In fact, the Bible tells us, parents, that you don't love your kids if you don't discipline them. Now, that's harsh words because he's not, Jesus isn't talking about the feelings of closeness and goodwill you might have towards your kids. I feel like I love them, so I love them. That's kind of an American Western approach. No, no, the Bible doesn't do love that way. The Bible says the kind of investment you want to make that you call love is defined by behavior primarily, not emotions. So loving behavior from a parent must include rebuke and correction. The Bible actually says we don't love, our, we're not doing loving actions if we don't do some of that. And if you've been a parent for any length of time, and some of you are old enough now you can look back on your parents' parenting of you, and you've seen the parenting of other people, and you understand that done well, correction is a beautiful picture of love. And it's done because you want what's best for somebody when they're in a place maybe not to make the best decisions for themselves. So Jesus says here in this letter, love letter to the church of Laodicea, I love you, and because I love you, I correct and I rebuke. So, he says, be earnest... Be sincere, like take this seriously and repent. This is a word that's shown up multiple times in these letters. You're going in this direction. Repent simply means turn and go in a new direction. Specifically, turn back to the Lord. 
turned back. We're a couple generations in in this church, and a couple generations in, they've lost their fervor, they've lost their heat, they're lukewarm, they're self-sufficient, they feel good in themselves, and here's God over here. I want a different, qualitatively better type of relationship with you. So look at what he says in verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, here's, what, here's, here's what's an opportunity for you. I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now, in that day and age, eating a meal was an opportunity not to just stuff your face, not to just get some nutrients in your body. A meal was an opportunity to have closeness and fellowship. Everybody wanted to eat with the king. To eat with the king, to eat with the ruler of the city was such a special honor. Because it didn't mean that you got, simply got the king's food, which would have been better than probably yours. That wasn't it, though. That wasn't it. That wasn't the quality of the food. It was the quality of the relationship that happened around the food. So hospitality is a really big deal, much more than it is in our typical American culture. I got a hint of that a couple weeks ago in India. Last week, we shared some of those stories with you here. If not, you can go online and get them. But in India, even, there were more than one night that Pastor Will and I were at the table with Pastor James and his wife, Sarah, and some of those girls were bringing food out constantly. And one night, we sat from about 8 o'clock to 1 o'clock in the morning just talking. And, and the quality wasn't the quality of the food, although it was awesome. It was incredible. The quality of that experience was is that our relationship took on new levels of depth and closeness as we sat there and shared hopes and dreams and challenges. The relationship grew. And it's one of the reasons why around here is we say our mission as a church is to help families have their best opportunity to become fully developing followers of Jesus. We want every home, our vision, to experience real love now through Christ. One of the reasons why I encourage you, like, regularly sit down and have a meal together. And don't make it just about the food itself. Make it about the quality of the experience at the table. It's hard with everybody going their own way. In, in, in your marriage, you get a similar kind of intimacy when you sit at a spiritual table and perhaps you talk about the message that you heard. Or a husband prays for his wife and reveals his heart for her and she gets to hear him call out to God what's on his heart. Whoever opens the door, Jesus says. Whoever hears my voice, hey, are you home? I'd like to come in. Now, what's interesting is, is if you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard this passage before. In fact, you probably heard it at the end of a sermon where the pastor was trying to get people who were not in a relationship with Jesus to commit to a relationship with Jesus. And they quoted the verse and they said, here's the deal. He's standing at the door of your heart. Open the door and let him in. That's valid, I suppose, but it's not specific to the context that he's talking about here. This passage was written to Christians. I think I think about it. The picture Jesus gives in this letter to Christians, to believers, is that Jesus isn't at the table having a meal with them. He's not even in the house getting ready to have one. For these believers at Laodicea, their heart condition had changed so much he's actually outside the door. Hey, I'd like to come in. Christian, believer, follower, I'd like to come in. 
I'd like to sit down and have a meal with you. I'd like for our relationship to grow deeper. It doesn't say that Jesus comes in like, you know, some Arnold Schwarzenegger character, and he's like, boom, here I am. Bow down, I'm the Lord. You don't get a picture of that. Now, there are a handful of places in the book of Revelation where that picture you do get a little bit of, where he's like, there's going to come a day, whether you want to or not, every knee is going to bow and confess that he is Lord. Whew. That's more Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm taking over, taking charge. But in the age that we live in now, God, although he has all power and certainly can, he restrains himself and he invites us to invite him to have a deeper relationship with us. There's a certain responsibility on you and on me to grow in our relationship with Christ. And those opportunities come to us. In fact, it's available every day. Every day you can grow in your relationship, your intimacy with your heavenly father. You can. It's not that mysterious. The truth is, is your marriage problems today are not that complicated. If you're not close to your spouse, I can give you five things to do not knowing any of the details. And if you do them faithfully and your heart's sincere, if you're earnest and you're willing to turn and do something different, your relationship with your spouse can change. 35 to 45 days. Meaningful conversations, no secrets, significant time together, serve one another, and bring a culture of honor back to your home. Do those things. Your relationship, your marriage will be radically different in a month. It will. I don't have to know what else is going on. Now, it may not solve all things, but you'll grow. You want a better relationship with your heavenly father who's not going to bust the door down and make it happen? But he's going to stand. Imagine the restraint. Imagine the love and the desire of your heavenly father that he would stand at the door of your heart and knock and ask to come in. What does that say about his heart for you? This is the good shepherd. This is the dad in the story of the prodigal son who is waiting with bated breath for the son to come home. And the moment he sees him, the Bible says, he picks himself up, he, he girds his loins, he wraps the cloth around, and he runs to meet his son. That's the picture of your heavenly father who stands at the door and knocks at the door of a heart that has grown lukewarm. Meaning it was on fire at one point. It was. You remember those days when worship was a joy for you? And when you went to learn and to receive from, from some preacher somewhere, or you loved getting in a small group, and you weren't being overly reserved, but there was a vulnerability and a willingness in you as you discussed. And if by chance somebody were to offer you some constructive criticism, you were in a place not to be offended. You were in a place to see it as a gift of love to you. You are white hot to grow spiritually. Do you remember those days? God gives us regular opportunities to take inventory. 
Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. And look what happens if you open up to the one who is victorious. I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. You get to sit down and have dinner with the king. <laughs> you get to sit down beside my father as he sits on his throne. If you open up, let me in, persevere, deal with the lukewarmness. Then he says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's fill in a few blanks. In, a, in our message notes, blank number one, Jesus is, he says, the picture of himself. We're going to see three things more clearly. Jesus, ourselves, and our opportunity. Jesus is the amen. Do you know what the word amen means? Like at the end of a prayer when we say amen, literally translated directly. It just simply means so be it. So like at the end of a prayer and you say amen, you're basically saying, God, let this be true. When I'm preaching and all of you, you know, you, you verbalize an amen. You know how we do that here? We don't do that here. But if we were to do that here, that's the way I grew up. By the way, it wouldn't bother me. But if we did it here, all you're doing is you're like, go, Ben, let that be true. Or you're affirming the truthfulness of that. Right? Amen. That's right. Let it be. We want that. More of this. That's what we're saying there. The Bible says that Jesus is the amen of God. That God's heart on display in Jesus Jesus is, and everywhere he went, he is the yes and the amen of what God was trying to do in your life and in this world. Jesus is the faithful and true witness because his testimony is completely trustworthy and accurate and always reliable. What that means is what Jesus says is more true than anything else. And if Jesus has declared you new, then you are new. And if Jesus has tapped you on the shoulder for service, then your call is significant and important. He's trustworthy. And then number three, Jesus is the ruler of God's creation because through his power, all things were created. We're told in both John and Hebrews that Jesus was there at creation and all this world that we're connected to, this thing that had pulls at our attention and pulls for our affections. Jesus is in charge of all of that. And even those things that might pull and cool your heart, if you follow him, can actually be leveraged to grow your heart. The very challenges and opportunities of your marriage relationship, the very things that you go through that make you be at odds with one another, seen a different way can be the very things that make you come together and face them together but it requires a shift. The things you're going through in life are under the purview of your heavenly father. They are under his control, even the stuff you call bad. I'm not saying particularly that every single element is caused by God. In fact, the scripture seems to indicate that some things we go through are caused by you and sometimes by a fallen world, sometimes the direct hand of God. But I know this about our heavenly father. Every single thing you're going through can be leveraged to make your heart more hot for him. Everything you're going through. We have an opportunity to see, more, to see Jesus more clearly. We have an opportunity to see ourselves more clearly. Here are the words that were used. Without Jesus, we're blind. We're incapable of following the way. You are not self-sufficient. You need him. If you've been following him for 50 years and you think you know it and you've heard this sermon before, you need him. You need him. If you came from an awesome religious environment where you were growing and thriving and you, you now have, you know, insight that would be helpful, 
Like you're ahead of the pack is what I'm trying to communicate. That's awesome. You still need him. Without him, we are blind and lost. Without Jesus, we're naked and ashamed. We're naked and ashamed. That's why Jesus says this great exchange is going to take place. You're going to take off your your robes of this world. You're going to take off your sinful, stained, bloodied, and ripped garments, and he's going to robe you with white robes of righteousness. He's going to make your experience in the world. He's going to cover your shame. Number three, without Jesus, we're broke. We're broke. Our best efforts Our best efforts are dirty, filthy rags. Ephesians 2 tells us that God is rich in mercy, and because he is, our experience with him can be enriched by him. In fact, what he does for us through his riches, through his storehouse, we can never do for ourselves. We're given an opportunity to see our opportunity more clearly. What's in front of us? Number one. The opportunity in front of us is not forced. You're not forced into a relationship, but you're invited into one. You're invited into a relationship with your heavenly father. Number two, you're not invited to simply a knowledge of God, but to deep intimacy with God. The Bible tells us that the the devils believe, but they're not saved. They're not in an intimate relationship with God. Belief and knowledge is not the point. Knowledge can be powered. Power, when it's harnessed, when the knowledge of God turns to the fear in the, of God and, and wisdom about life, it, knowledge is powerful, but knowledge of God alone doesn't do it. You're not invited to know more about God. You're invited to know God and to be in a relationship with him. You're encouraged in this church to read the scripture, not so you can win a Bible quiz. You're invited so that you can know the heart of your heavenly father, that it becomes a daily reality. You become a self-feeder. You come to church not famished because you haven't eaten spiritually all week. I mean, if that's your reality, you haven't eaten spiritually all week, you come here, no matter what I do, you will not feel satisfied. You're not going to feel full spiritually, no matter what we do around here. And you're number three, not defeated, but victorious. This is the opportunity in front of us. And God gives us all a chance to think deeply about where we are. I had a chance a few weeks ago to think deeply about where I am. Sometimes God grabs your attention in dramatic ways. This happened to me. So uh, my son's getting ready to go back to college, and he says to me, Dad, I'd like to go out on the boat one more time and do a little playing. We do this as a family. We like to go out on the boat. It's a lot of fun. It's like, I don't know that I can do this. So I'm getting ready to go to, to India. Um, I got, when we come back, we're, you know, we're coming up on a food truck rally at church. I'm pretty busy. I don't know that I can make this happen. He's like, so it's Tuesday. And I said, you know what? Maybe tomorrow. Like, maybe tomorrow I'll get a few guys together. We'll go. So um, we did Wednesday. Grabbed a few guys here from the staff, called a few friends, people who have been invested in Connor's life and my son, and uh, we, d- we went down to just have a good time, and man, all morning long, we're having a great time. we uh, driving the boat around, pulling a big inner tube behind, and you know, I, have you ever done this? You know, you know what the goal is? It's like you go, and you got people on the tube, and the goal is just to like give them a thrill ride and not kill them. Like you want to kind of, you know, that gray area between thrill and kill? You want to you ride that line? 
So we had a great time all morning and going around. And I'm a pretty good boat driver. So I drive the boat, come back around, hit our own wake, and bop, bop, bounce, you know. Woo! Lots of fun. So I've been driving all morning, and, and Connor says, hey, why don't you, you know, get on with me? So I'm like, okay, awesome. So I hand off the driving, and I get on, and uh, here, here, here's, here's, here's what I say. Now, it's, it's Connor in the middle. It's, uh, it's actually uh, Pastor Josh, our, our new kids pastor. And, um, and then me, and I, I look at Josh, and I said, dude, you're going to love it here. I'm so glad you're on this team. God has sent you to us. I am so looking forward to this. And I get on, and we go around, and we spin. They, uh, they knock me off. It's fun. Everybody's laughing. Ha! I get back on. We're going to do it again. Watch this video. That's me on the left. We're having a great time. A few waves there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, that's me. Now, yeah, it's, it's hilarious. It really is. So, um, you can turn that off. Um, I end up going somewhere between 12 and 15 feet in the air. Problem was, it's when I did, I was unconscious. Yeah. So right before I went up, something happened. We don't know what. Either chest compression, bumped my head, don't know. I'm unconscious. So when I'm in the air there, I'm out. So I land in the water like this. Yeah. So a few minutes, a few moments pass, not minutes, but a few moments pass, and my son realizes, because everybody got knocked off on that way, my son realizes something's not right, starts screaming, swims over to me and turns me over, and I'm gone. I'm blue, lips blue, junk coming out of the mouth, eyes rolled back, and he just starts screaming. And so they uh, get the boat back, and um, it's, there's a few moments there where, uh, oh, here, here's what my son said, Dad, I thought you were dead. You weren't breathing. And uh, my staff said, I thought you were dead. And um, the problem is I don't remember any of it. Like, remember I told you, I said to Josh, you know, you're going to have a great time here? That's the last thing I remember. There's a five, six, eight-minute window of my life I don't remember. What I remember is just waking up, and the ambulance is there, and they're putting me on and putting me on oxygen. And uh, my blood pressure is really low. So it's, it really is funny. It's okay that you laughed. It's fine. Um, but you don't come through moments like that without thinking, all right, God, what are you, what are you doing? What's going on? So, like, I've had an opportunity, and then I, 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 get, I go to India after this, and it gives me an opportunity to think about a lot of things. You know, quality of my relationship with my wife, my kids, this church, my call, my ministry, that sort of stuff. And uh, I don't know how it is that you come through the significant events of your life, but I'm learning more and more that every one of them, in some way, here's what's happening. Ben, I want in. I want more in. I want more in. And if you open the door, I'll come sit down with you and talk with you. We'll get to know each other better. And our relationship will get better. And uh, you'll be having dinner with the king. Significance will be there. 
there are a lot of opportunities where the Lord looks at all of us and he says, um, I want you to come further in. I want to ask you a couple clarifying questions. So follower of Jesus in the room. All right, if you're not, I'm not talking to you yet. All right, we'll get to that in a second. If you're a Christian in the room, before the Lord, not before me, would it be fair to say that your heart is not as hot as it used to be? Is there any lukewarm there? What makes a heart lukewarm? A lot of things. Distraction, hurts from other people, disappointment, personal sin, just raw, not spending time with God, relying all your spiritual nutrients to come from somebody else as they spoon feed you versus picking up and feeding yourself what you need. Would it be fair, I mean, if Jesus were to come and write a letter to you, would he say, you're lukewarm? Here's another question. Christian, are, are there people in your life that um, God's given you an opportunity to think about your investment in them spiritually? As a church, we're ramping up for this food truck rally. And in case you don't know, it's not about food for us. It's about inviting our friends in, hoping to establish a meal, to get to know them a little bit, to talk to them, to invite them in, to have not bread at a food truck, but the bread of life through Jesus. And God gives us an opportunity every year to leverage this event to invite people in so that they can have an encounter with Jesus. We can't force it. The best we can do is like arrange a date. I feel like somehow I'm a spiritual date arranger. Give people a chance to sit down with their Heavenly Father and consider His heart for them and the life that He's calling them to and hope that they respond and His overtures of love produce in them a willingness to grow in the relationship. How about if you're not a follower of Jesus? Might it be true of you that you're not here today by accident or you're not watching by accident? That your heavenly father is effectively standing there going, I'd like to come in and have a relationship with you. Would you open the door? Would you let me in? We're going to take communion as a church in just a few moments. And this is an opportunity for all of us to receive from God what we can't do for ourselves. Remember, you're blind, you're broke, you're naked spiritually. You are. I am too. There's nothing we can do. And in communion, we get a chance to remember a couple of very powerful things. That the body of Jesus was broken for us so that all of our brokenness can be made whole. <laughs> so wherever you're broken. You know, maybe you're lukewarm a little bit today because you were disillusioned and hurt by some other experience. Okay. Jesus can cover that brokenness. His broken body means that every part of your life can be made whole. And maybe there's some lukewarmness because there's some unmet expectations in your life. You thought you would get X, but you got Y. Okay. But I want to point you to the fact that in, when it comes to your spiritual life, we're not called to follow people. We're called to follow the Lord. And the Lord is not the one who lets you down. It isn't his integrity that disappointed you. It isn't his lack of engagement. He's only spoken good things over you. He's never had an evil thought about you. So what brokenness does God need to heal? 
And then the poured out grape juice for us. The wine, if you will. This represents the blood of Jesus that covers our sins. What this means is that if you have been washed in the blood of the lamb, you're made white and clean. You don't have filthy rags. You have robes of righteousness that you did not pay for, you did not earn. They were given to you. That's called grace. You're to wear them, not with arrogance and pride that somehow you earned them, but you're to wear them with the comfort and the joy and the confidence of being a son or daughter of the king of kings. Your past doesn't define you. What others have said about you is not who you are. But Jesus is the yes and amen. He's the faithful and true witness. What he declares over you is what's true. So we're going to take some next steps. You want to grab out your Connect card. If you call this church home, you know what we're doing. If you're a guest, it's that card that you began to fill out, and there's an A, B, C, D, and E option. I want to give you some steps to take so that we can actually move forward with what we're hearing today. Next step A says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I'd ask you to take that pen we provided, check the box, put the card in the offering bucket when it comes by in a moment, but pray with me in a second. Do some serious business with God. Open that door and let him come in and eat with you and fellowship with you and be in a relationship with you. I'll lead you in a prayer, but in effect, here's what the Bible says. God, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I trust the work that Jesus did on the cross and the resurrection. I trust in that alone to save me. Perhaps the step you need to take today is to be baptized and go public with your faith and declare I'm not ashamed to be associated with Jesus. If that's you, check the box. That's what starts the conversation. Now, next step C for us. It's an opportunity for you to just do some business with God, follower of Jesus. It says, perhaps you need to confess to the Lord that your heart has grown colder. Maybe it's an opportunity now for you to turn back to him and ask him to light a fire in your heart. Can I be honest with you? Ever since that event that happened to me, I've been asking God to light a fire in me. I've been asking God to light a fire in this church. I never want Jesus to come and say, four corners you're lukewarm you lost your passion for the lost you lost your passion for mission for serving in other countries you lost your passion for the disenfranchised for the down and out I don't want him ever to say that about us I don't want him to say you lost your passion for the word of God and for the truth preached with boldness You lost your passion for the warmth and welcome offered in your hospitality that demonstrates the heart of God. You lost your passion for generosity. I don't want to say that about us. And I can't force that stuff. But man, I'm praying. And let me tell you what's happened is I've prayed. The enemy has ratcheted up. Oh, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. This stuff is real. There's spiritual warfare. Let me just warn you before you check this box. You might want to erase it if you can or mark it out. Because if you say, God, make my heart hotter, let me tell you what's going to happen. He will. He will. And the enemy will fight you. He will. (laughs) But our God is bigger. And it's worth it. It's worth it. Next step, D. Here's a prayer that you can pray every morning this week. Lord, reveal yourself to me. 
so I can see you more clearly and help me to live with the awareness of what you've done for me. Let me grow in intimacy with you. God, today, I want to know you more. By the end of the day, I want to know you more. I want to be closer to you. Or how about memorize Revelation 3.20? Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, it opens a door. I'll come in and eat with them and that person, uh, I'll eat with that person and they with me. Memorize, hide God's word in your heart that you might not sin against him. Why don't you set aside your card? If you call that church home, if you call this church home, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to give now and after this, we're gonna take communion together. If you're our guest, we put our connect cards in the offering bucket. That's your gift to us today. But if you call this church home, this is your chance to give back to God a portion of what he's blessed you with. This is, in my opinion, every year, the most exciting time to be a part of Four Corners is right as we come into the fall season. God's gonna send new people through our doors. We're gonna have guests at our food truck rally. We're gonna be ready for them. You know how it is we're gonna be practically ready for them? We're gonna pray up. We're gonna do the real work of heaven and we're gonna pray And then we're going to be ready materially in this place because of your faithful giving. We're going to, for instance, have toilet paper on the holders in the bathrooms. There's going to be soap in the dispensers. There's going to be coffee. The lights are going to be on. The heat or air conditioner is going to be on. Our golf cart's going to drive around. How does that happen? You're faithful to give. And we're going to make people who come onto this campus feel the warmth and welcome from God. And God won't bust the door down of their heart, but he'll stand there and knock, and he'll knock through our efforts people that have been forgotten, people that other people consider too much work, people that have nothing to offer in terms of material wealth, they're going to be welcomed right here in this place. They're going to be welcomed right here because you've been faithful. I'm grateful for it. We're going to pray right now, and I'm going to give you a chance to do business with God. Then we're going to give our offering, which is an act of worship. And then we're going to stand and take communion. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to do it. If you're not a follower of Jesus, become one in this prayer and join us. And if you can't, it's okay. You're welcome to just sit here and observe because communion is for followers of Jesus. Let's pray right now. Father, thank you that you have pursued us. We did not pursue you. Thank you that you remind us that you're standing at the door of our lives and you're knocking and you want in. God, I pray that every person right now under the sound of my voice in this room, online, that they would open themselves up to you right now. Holy Spirit, do your work. Convict, convince, encourage, challenge. Do what my words cannot do. God, I pray that you would light the fire in people's hearts again. Some of us have grown cold. We have our reasons, but none of them stand up to the flame of who you are and to the truth of who you are. God, I pray for men and women in this room right now who are saying, Jesus, wash away my sins. Cover me by your shed blood. I want to follow you with my life. I pray for each man and woman, boy and girl, that's going to walk through our doors over the next month as we ramp up for our anniversary and 14 years of doing work here. I pray, God, that your spirit would be so thick in this place. Your love would be so tangible and displayed in our words, in our smiles, and in our hospitality. Your truth would be spoken with such power and clarity that hearts would be eternally changed, that eternal destinies would be changed. 
God, I ask that your profound work would be done in our lives. And Father, would you take our steps, would you take our offering, and would you drive them far towards your purpose? We're grateful to be able to be a part of what you're doing. We pray it in Jesus' powerful name. Amen and amen.